good morning. Good to see everybody out. Good to see everybody on WebEx. Hi, everybody on WebEx. How are we doing to this morning? Let's go ahead and um, let's actually turn first to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, we read this last week, but let's just remind ourselves of this. Um, you can think of some of these messianic prophecies in the Old Testament as being... Um, as being uh, the Lord calling his own shot, if you will, uh, many centuries before the fact. Uh, and so in, in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, we see uh, this prophecy, uh, this messianic statement, which calls forward to Christ in, in verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 61. So let's begin reading there. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to, confront, to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, and oil, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So there the prophet speaks about the coming glory of the kingdom of God, and in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, we'll pick up again our study this week in the Beatitudes, Christ announces the blessings of the coming of that kingdom in the new covenant. And so that's what we will continue our study of today on the Beatitudes. And today we're going to talk about um, mourning. We're going to talk about uh, blessed are those who mourn or, or, or how do we mourn as Christians uh, is another way to think about um, what's under consideration today. And uh, let's see, I have to go from current slide to get that in the room. Okay, can everyone see that um, both in room and on WebEx? We're good in the room, we're good on WebEx. Okay, so... We're looking at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. And again, like last week, there's a version of this in Luke as well in the Sermon on the Plain. So we'll look at that briefly as well. But let's read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. Last week, we, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this week, we're going to talk about verse 4, which is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And if you turn over, flip over quickly to, to Luke chapter 6, you can see the version there uh, in Jesus' separate Sermon on the Plain, but many of the same uh, points are made in slightly different phrasing. So if you look in, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 21, it says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. We'll put that one on hold and come back to it when we talk about blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But then the second half of verse 21 in, in Luke 6 is, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Okay. So, what do we do when life throws us troubles? When we have a loved one who passes? When we're facing um, tr uh, uncertain times and trials and, and, even, and even death itself? 
How do we contend with this as Christians? This is what we want to talk about today. And um, so I, one of the things that I didn't think, that I don't think I really did justice last week when I was doing some introductory material on the Beatitudes um, is this idea that the, the Beatitudes are invitations to, um, well, nothing's moving. Okay, the Beatitudes are invitations to blessedness by Christ. And this, you can think of this as something like a three-step process, right? The Beatitudes, all of them center around people who are perceived by the world to be in an, in an unfortunate state. Um, last week it was the poor. This week it's those who are, um, who are weeping. And in every case, there is some sense in which um, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. These are all classes of people that the world sees as being at a disadvantage or being unfortunate or being um, in some sort of negative downtrodden state. But Christ reveals to us that even in our unfortunate state, we are blessed. There is blessing. There are blessings to be found and great blessings to be found even in the, the, the lowest experiences that we can have here, even in the most unpleasant experiences that we have here. And then the second step is, after being made aware of that blessing, we enter into it in, in the fullest sense by coming into Christ and coming to know Christ and entering into his body. And then finally, once we've done that, the blessing that Christ gives us generates more blessedness in our lives. And by that, I mean that when we take in how fully we've been blessed and what mercy we've been given, um, it multiplies itself in our lives in the way we treat others and in the, the uh, way that we, we focus our attention on, on sharing that message. And if we can get that to take hold in other people, then they share that message. And we all share in this generation of, um, of happiness and blessedness in Christ. And this is something that can be um, not just some, some faraway thing that we think about in terms of the resurrection in heaven, but something that's, that's quite real and, and tangible. So these, these Beatitudes give us doorways into the best life we could possibly have here. And uh, another note here, uh, this is a blessedness that is beyond the conditions of this life. So this does not mean that things will always be great, that your life will always feel great, that you won't have extremely low uh, moments, that you won't um, go through grief and pain and suffering and sorrow. Now, this is what this beatitude is all about. We feel these things um, very deeply. We feel them um, in a way even that the world does not. But it means that we as spiritual people see through the temporary conditions and the overall impermanence of this life. Um, Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who mourn, and they should stop that mourning and weeping. He said, blessed are those who mourn now, for they will laugh, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So we have transcendent peace as Christians. Ultimately, in Christ, we will have the last laugh, so to speak. I think like there, there, there's something to that, that phrasing that, that um, there will be um, laughter and joy and expression of that joy in heaven. So it means that even as we pass through the dark valleys of this life, we're not fooled by the earthly illusion that the temporary is eternal. 
Our lives, even in their darkest moments, are in participation with the divine plan for all mankind. And we never lose sight of that. This is what we mean by transcendent peace as Christians. It means that, um, it means that what we are participating in in Christ, what we're doing, the work that we're accomplishing in Christ, is bigger than just our lives. It's bigger than these bodies. We can clearly differentiate between the temporary and the eternal by focusing our attention on Christ and on the things that he teaches us. This is why we're, we're, we're doing this study, is that these blessings are the entry point into understanding what the life in Christ looks like and what it is. So I, I, I put out this thing on, 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 on Facebook, and it was probably poorly phrased, uh, but, but it was... Um, I was floating this idea that I do believe in that um, irration- or rationality is not the highest form of, of, of understanding that, that, that we have. In fact, um, things that are, uh, I, I'm of the opinion that, that, that laughter and um, uh, playfulness with one another in, in Christ is much more important than self-seriousness uh, and, uh, and this, this sort of rigid um, rationality because we won't be doing any of these rationalizings. Uh, we won't be doing any of these um, little uh, social things that we do in heaven. We'll, it will all be praise. It will all be God's glory. It will all be comfort and joy. Uh, and so I put this out there that, uh, you know, um, laughter is better than, than, than seriousness, basically, was, was the gist of it. And I had somebody sort of uh, pushing back on that and, and, and bringing up Ecclesiastes 7. And I'm so glad they did that because it made for this perfect, uh, it, it, it helped me to better understand this thing that I'm preaching about right now, which is uh, mourning and joy. And, and what does this mean? And what is Christ's place in this tradition of wisdom literature that addresses this issue of mourning and joy? So turn back with me. We're going to take a slight detour here into Ecclesiastes chapter 7. The house of mourning is this image that we get in Ecclesiastes 7, and it's part of this greater context um, of the collection of wisdom that Saul has, I mean, not Saul, excuse me, Solomon has had um, through his life and through the wisdom that God has blessed him with. And let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through, through 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Um, It says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. It is better for for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the vanity of, fool, of fools. So is the laughter of fools. This is also vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupt, corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient, and pa- and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick in your, in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. 
Wisdom is good with an, with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of, the, of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? All right, so let's go back and take that briefly, verse by verse, in Ecclesiastes 7. What does this mean? How do we reconcile this with this idea of there being comfort and laughter for those who mourn that Christ gives us in Matthew and in Luke? So in, in chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. So it's better that you have a reputation in your, in your life for being the right kind of person than to have the right kind of material things. I think that's the essence of what that means. And the day of death, better than the day of birth. So our deaths should actually be more joyous to us than our birthdays. We should long for them more than the continuation of this life. And this doesn't mean that we're you know, death-obsessed or that we're dour or, or, or depressed people, but it means that, that we see our lives as they are there are these brief time spans that we occupy here before we enter into eternal glory. Mike Wilson, who I trained under, likes to say that, that our lives are a probationary period, and I kind of like that. We're, we're working through this, this uh, material life, this, this, this life in the flesh, but we who are in Christ are not to be of the flesh, and we see the life beyond that we're headed to. The spiritually, the spiritually wise do not fear death, or at least do not fear it in the same way that those in the world do. And then verse 2, It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. When he says the living will take it to heart, the implication there is those living who are wise will understand this truth and, and deal with it and not avoid it. The spiritually wise can contend with grief as well. Go into the house of mourning when the time is there to mourn. And the theme of Ecclesiastes is everything in its time. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. So this is a little bit uh, tricky to understand, but I think you can, get, you can understand it by thinking about um, a surprise party, right? If, you're going, if, if someone's throwing you a surprise party and you get the surprise spoiled for you before you go in the door... It's not much of a surprise. But if you come in cold, the lights are out, right? And then someone turns the lights on and everybody jumps out from behind the furniture and yells, surprise, right? Uh, then because you're expecting to just walk into your house like any other time, the surprise is shocking and then there's joy and then there's laughter, right? Or maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're upset and yelling because people are surprising you. But the analogy only goes so far. But what, I, what, what I'm trying to say is that we have to know sorrow first before we can know joy. We have to know limitation first before we can know no limitation. And, and joy is not, um, uh, sorrow is not the absence of joy, but rather joy is the absence of sorrow. So jokes work the same way. It's on surprise, right? A joke is funny because it, 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 go, it subverts or it changes your, uh, link, your, your expectation of the language, right? You expect someone to say one thing and they say something else, and it's funny. 
or you expect uh, you know this line of thought to go one way and it goes another, and it's it's funny to you, it's humorous. So it's the uh, the unpleasant comes first, then the pleasant, the mundane, then the extraordinary, right? So the moments of joy we experience of this in this life are brief respites from the sorrow that's all too common in this walk. And we feel that joy for a moment, but it's quickly forgotten, right? We fade back into our lives. But we're looking for a joy that's eternal, a joy that doesn't fade, a joy that lasts. So let's keep that in our minds as we, as we go through this passage. In verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of, of mirth. So we don't, the spiritually wise do not escape grief like the world by going into the house of, of mirth, by, by, by trying to cover up the, the feeling of, of grief with, uh, with uh, debauchery or emotional misdirection or with um, uh, you know, not dealing with the, the grief and the sorrow that we feel. Instead, we who are spiritually wise or if we're striving to be spiritually wise, we should aim to be able to face this grief head on. That's what I think verse 4 means. And then, and then continuing in that theme, the spiritually wise in verse 5 um, can hear the rebuke of the wise. They can take criticism and they're not looking to hear the song of fools. They're not seeking false praise. So they're not afraid of, of harsh words. They know that's a part of life sometimes too, is that you take criticism. So do you see a theme here? We're seeing beyond the temporary unpleasantness of what we're going through and into the eternal. In verse 6 uh, of, of Ecclesiastes 7, the spiritually wise know that foolish laughter is passing away. But I want us to keep in our heads here though, it's, it can't be that laughter is of no value because Christ said, blessed are those who weep for they will laugh. So it, it's important that Christ compares the comfort of heaven to laughter. And it, let's just hold that in our heads. But foolish laughter, what, what Solomon calls uh, the laughter of fools, is, uh, again, more, more oriented toward the world and toward the physical. The laughter of fools uh, being for the purpose of, of escaping the serious and weighty matters of life, namely that it's full of pain and death and that it is temporary, that it's impermanent. So if we're, if we're having this false joy and false laughter to try to get away from the fact that, uh, that, that this life is a one-shot deal, and that it's fading away quickly, and that what comes after it is eternal, then we are missing the true experience that we should have in this life and in this body. And then in, in verse 7, the spiritually wise know that men are corruptible, even the best of them. And then Solomon starts to pivot toward this larger problem, the brokenness of humanity in verse 7. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. So Solomon says, even the best people you can find... If you treat them the wrong way, they go crazy. Or if you give them enough money, they change their mind about things real conveniently, right? So, so, we, so the spiritually wise should, should know that men are corruptible and should understand that the biggest problem humanity faces is how do we become whole? How do we fix this problem in our hearts? He says the beginning or the end is better than the beginning the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Um, he says, don't be quick to anger, for anger 
is dwell, lodges and or dwells in the hearts of fools. And then he says, don't ask why were the old days better than these days? Because this is not a wise question. I think the implication there is that you live here in the now. Don't worry about what they did back then. Worry about what, what your life here now. So the spiritually wise know the value of guarding the heart. They know the, the value of keeping a patient spirit, of keeping anger out, of being focused on the moment that we're in. The spiritually wise seek after spiritual wisdom as opposed to fleshly knowledge in verses 11 and 12. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. And the implication there is in those who see the sun, that is those who see the divine plan of God in everything. As the sun rises and sets, so is God's will, so is God's plan. The protection of wisdom, and that spiritual wisdom, is like the protection of money. So the material uh, is a shadow of the spiritual. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So we're after spiritual wisdom. Now, there's a knowledge component of wisdom. You have to know things sometimes to be wise. But not all knowledge leads to wisdom. In fact, most knowledge does not. So it, it, it's a tricky thing. We have to um, discount the... the um, the material, the fleshly knowledge of this world and seek at the expense of everything else spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge. But this is the part that I really think is key in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now, I don't know about your translations, but in my ESV, the grammar of that is this. Consider the work of God, colon. As in, this is the work of God. And then the question, who can make straight what he, lowercase h and he, that's us, what he has made crooked? So we've made our paths crooked. We've made this world crooked. We've made our walks crooked. What is the work of God? The work of God is fixing that crookedness, that brokenness in us. So Solomon surveys all of earthly life, all of material life, and says, embrace the sorrow, embrace the mourning, and understand that trying to escape these things in, in the comforts and pleasures and, and, and laughters and joys of this life are futile. You should face them head on. They're inescapable. The mourning, the pain, the sorrow. But now let's come back to Matthew 5. I want to talk for a second about Jesus as the completion of that wisdom tradition that Solomon uh, was a part of in the Old Testament. Solomon had all this wisdom, but it was a material wisdom. It was an earthly wisdom to some extent. There was a spiritual aspect to it, but it was incomplete, right? So Jesus is the completion of this tradition begun in Solomon. Jesus tells us exactly why it's better to be in the house of mourning, in the house of laughter. Last week we talked about poverty and being poor in spirit. And Solomon talked about that as well in the Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. And a lot of it has to do with how you avoid poverty. And by the way, Solomon's answer there is, is wisdom. Spiritual wisdom is one of the things that can help 
to have us prosper in our lives. It's, of course, not a guarantee that we won't fall on hard times, but it's one of the things that can safeguard against misfortune befalling us, Solomon says. But at the same time, um, when we think about those who mourn, those who weep, we know some who are weeping now. And Solomon said it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of laughter. Um, say, a lot of you guys don't know Sarah Green, so this won't make a lot of difference uh, to you guys. But it, it is a good story in that, um, well, it's not really a good story, but just more, um, just to give you some perspective on her mother passing, which Mark announced. Uh, Sarah and Michael uh, really tried, went out of their way to be friends to me when I was interning at uh, Santa Clara, and uh, they, they, they socialized with me and did fun things with me. Uh, I've played games at their house before. I've uh, you know, gone to uh, Bible studies and church gatherings with them, and they always uh, really tried to make me feel at home. And so they are, they are Christian friends of mine who are now mourning, the loss of, of, of Sarah's mother. And that, that is a very tough thing. Um, but Jesus says we can face it. Jesus says Solomon was right. It is better to mourn and weep than to laugh. But Solomon never told you why. The best he could tell you was essentially embrace it because it's, it's inevitable. But I'm here to tell you why it's better to mourn than to laugh, Jesus says. And the reason is, where we're going, there will be nothing but comfort and laughter if we are in the kingdom. And when we enter into the kingdom here, we enter into that same bliss. Not that we don't feel grief or sorrow. We do, very much so. But we can have joy even then, even when we're in the midst of our pain and sorrow, if we know that there is no pain that can separate us from the joy we have in Christ. And no pain that can keep us from the painlessness, the limitlessness that we will experience in the resurrection when we see him in his fullness. Where we, were go where we are going, there will be no mourning and no weeping. And we pray that the kingdom of God will be on earth as it is in heaven. So we're striving in our small way. What that means is we're working to make this wor the world around us and the life that we're living a little bit more like what it will be like in heaven. What it will be like in heaven is no mourning, no pain, comfort. Perfect comfort and joy and laughter. So what do we bring to the world? Comfort, joy, and good news that Christ has come for all. So each Christian is doing their part to bring comfort and laughter to human beings who are sick with pain and in need of the gospel. We can face even the very end of our own lives this way. That the experience that we've had here, which has been a lot of mourning and weeping with a few precious fleeting moments of joy and laughter, at our deaths we're laying that aside. And the place we're going will be one great laugh, one eternal comfort. Another way to translate that word for, for laugh in Luke is smile. That's a connotation of that Greek word. You can conceive of heaven as one eternal smile. Viewing heaven in that way sweetens every earthly smile we're blessed with and lightens the blow of every sting and arrow this mortal flesh and Satan and the world throws at us. 
life in Christ is a comfort. And it should be filled with laughter. If this is how we view our eternal hope, that it will be an eternal comfort, an eternal smile, then how much more should we view our lives as joys and comforts as we relate to each other in the church, in our spiritual family? What a joy that we should get to commune in this fellowship with one another in this temporary time, in these temporary bodies, as an all-too-brief precursor to the eternal life that we'll all dwell in together someday in some sense in heaven. We should enjoy our presence here together in this life, in this church. We should laugh. We should do things together. We should make the most of this time we get together because it isn't forever. This life is going away faster than we realize. It'll sneak up on you. I, I'm, I'm a young guy, I know. But I, I've seen enough of life already to know that that's true. It flies by. The time gets away from you. Heaven is something that we, that we all have to conceptualize on an individual level. But we will all be in that same eternal blissful state together if we're all hoping in the same hope and if our hope is not in vain if we built it on the rock and sustained it on the blood of our Lord. What I'm afraid of is that um, too often people don't want to come to church because they think of church people as being these um, kind of dour, self-righteous, self-serious people and they don't, they, they don't think they'll have as much joy in Christ as they have in sin. And... and Part of that is, is the schemes of Satan with certainty. But, but part of it also has to be that sometimes we, and this broadly speaking as just people who are believers in Christ, can be not very fun people sometimes, I think. And, and not this group specifically. I'm not, I'm not calling us out here or anyone in particular out. But the messaging of Christians broadly to the culture and the messaging of folks, a lot of folks claiming to be Christians broadly to the culture is that we come here and we put on our serious faces and our serious clothes and we have a very uh, serious time where we don't have any fun. And this is what we're fighting against, the poor impressions that others have made on people in the name of Christ. It shouldn't be hard for us to show people from the world a different kind of good time. Because... Um, you know, we struggle as Christians against judgment of others sometimes. We, we really like to, um, sometimes I'm afraid, and I'm speaking here from my personal experience, sometimes I like to pass judgment on people that do things that I wouldn't do. I like to pass judgment on people who, you know, go to bars and parties and these kinds of things. But you have to understand that for many of these people, these, this sort of social debauchery is the closest they ever come to church. And what I mean by that is they're making a poor substitution with fake friends and, and drunkenness for the true friendships and true joy that are found in the kingdom. And we can call them out of that darkness and into our light. But they're never going to take that seriously. They're never going to see that purpose of the kingdom until they see that joy in us. They've got to see it in us to know that it's real. The world will never be drawn 
to the joyfulness of the good news until they see that joy in us. And if our joys, if our lives here in Christ have been filled with joy and laughter as they should be, we know much more our eternal life in Christ will be full of comfort and of laughter. We can have that joy here because we will have it fully, completely, with no limitations and no pain, no discomfort, no grieving, no sorrow in the resurrection. In the resurrection, bodies, there will be no pain or tears or darkness or sadness. In the resurrection, we will be comforted far beyond the pain and the damage that has been inflicted here. It will more than compensate us. The first instant in heaven will more than compensate us for everything we've endured here. Every hardship will be forgotten as soon as we arrive there. In the resurrection, the unfathomable surprise of our joy will be something like the pleasant surprise of a laugh. There's nothing better than laughing, uh, for my money anyway. It's one of the things I enjoy the most because it is that spontaneous outburst of joy. And I, I heard something that was really interesting the other day, and it's really neither here nor there, but I just thought it was interesting that if you take audio recordings of, of people laughing and you slow it down, you can tell much more easily between fake laughter and real laughter. Because uh, if you slow down fake laughter, it sounds mechanical, like a computer is doing it, basically. If you slow down real laughter, it sounds kind of like monkey screeches, like animal noises. <laughs> like, um, and, and, and it's very clear this is not a controlled thing, but it's a spontaneous outburst of joy, of surprise, pleasant surprise. So in the resurrection, that joy, that rising pleasantness will be like that. But more than any laugh, more than any joy, we've ever known. Unlike the laughs that we've had here, where the joy of the laughter quickly fades and we forget, there the joy will go on for eternity. What will that mean to experience it? I don't know. You don't know. But I think that's part of the point. To know would ruin the surprise. But whatever the experience that awaits us in the life to come, we know that it will be an unthinkable surprise. And that those of us who have kept our hope in Him, no matter what, will not be disappointed. So seek first the kingdom of God, Christ says, and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? Seek the kingdom of God here, in this life, not in some faraway time and place, do so by seeking those who are around you who are hurting and comforting them and what will be added to you? All these things and more. Incredible joy that we cannot imagine. All of the pleasantness of this life that we've ever felt combined into one eternal moment and far beyond even that. Because for every hurt in this life there will be greater comfort in heaven. And we will do there what we have practiced here. If we have been seeking the kingdom, all these things, all these things being glory and honor and divinity and victory will be added to you, will be added to us. The joy there will never fade. 
So if we seek the kingdom and we do this through uh, entering into these principles that Christ lays out in the Beatitudes and occupying them and making them a part of our life and our character, if we do that, we will attain the highest joy and the highest comfort. We'll talk about this a little bit more this evening when we look at um, a strange episode from the life of Abraham. Um, But we'll talk about this word sojourners. We're called sojourners here because, which means nomads or travelers, sojourners means. We're called sojourners here because we don't belong here. We belong the place where we're going. And so for those of us who seek the will of God, it had better be a joy to go to the place where we belong. We can face even the fear and pain of death, knowing that in the last day, none of us who have put our hope in Christ will be ashamed or disappointed, and the pains and sorrows and horrors and oppressions of this life will have been forgotten eternally. Walk through this treacherous country that is not your own, and by this treacherous country, I mean this this life that we occupy for this brief time. Walk through it with Christ by your side, and you will reign with him forever, eternally, eternally, as is your destiny. You can step out and claim that destiny that Christ has purposed for you. You can enter into his will by accepting him as the Savior, confessing his name before men, repenting of your sins and your deluded thoughts, and then being brought into the body, being immersed in baptism, buried to the old self, raised to the new self, dead to sin, living to God, and walk with Christ, occupying his teachings and his character and making them your own. This is what we're doing. This is how we can enter into a comfort that goes beyond any grievings, any weepings, any pain, any misfortune that we encounter here. We can mourn not as those who have no hope, but as those who have put their hope in the rock, founded their lives on the rock that is the Savior of all mankind. If you have any need, if you wish to enter into the body of Christ, we encourage